Hello, so welcome back to the second part of our Best Performances of All Time podcast. In this half of the pod, we're going to be looking at the best male performances of all time. So without further ado, I'll let myself and Kieran crack on again. Right, let's move on to the blokes then, to the men, the top five men's performances of all time. Oh, go on. Now this... Oh, go on then. Now, this one, I think we had more of a hard time thinking of what to exclude than what to include. So, agreed. I imagine there's going to be quite a few, quite a few people out there that are listening to this, thinking, "Why wasn't this or that involved?" Comment. Tell us why. Uh, tell us why it should be involved. So, we'll start off with the honourable mentions, and we'll start off with probably what's going to end up being a relatively hefty honourable mention because I thought it should be in the top five, but at the same time. It just doesn't quite cut it, even though it's a, an insane performance. And it's Jim Ryan running a 351 mile on the cinders in, I think it was 1967. I can't, I, I didn't write down the date. I can't actually remember. But to run that fast on that surface is just insane. I mean, Sam, you trained for a mile. Can you imagine anybody running a minute and six seconds quicker on? not a track surface no no it's <laughs> it's crazy and and the fact that like you say the, the the one thing that we you know that we do learn about when we do extended training is is all about things like grip and how it makes the difference and you always said like had i been in a decent pair of like track spikes for example i'd have gone even faster on the day and had it not been raining i'd have gone even faster so track surfaces and things exactly. like that they do all make the difference and for you to, to read out like you say 351 yeah anyone who anyone who can 351 that's just insane anyone who can break a four like that is incredible but to do it on a crappy track with loose surface is just is <laughs> just astonishing so i mean i'm sure it was it was probably one of the best tracks available at the time um i really wish i'd looked up where it was that he'd done it but some kind of facts and things about the race and about jim ryan at the time that are that to me make the performance even more outstanding is at that time he was 21 years old and he was still in college. Like he was just a student That's... just out there, <laughs> just out there running 351 miles. He was just like, if you go to Kansas university, which is where he went to college, he was, you could see him like, you know, just going to class, being a normal student. He probably was hitting the bars on a Friday night. Like he was just a, he was a normal dude. Also, no pacemakers in that race. So not only did he have that track surface, he had no pacemakers. Nowadays, people struggle still to run a 350 mile in the Diamond League, where it's perfect weather, perfect pacemakers. You've got a rapid like Mondo track to run on. Jim Ryan doesn't care. He just goes out and does it on cinders with no pacemakers, 21 years old. Runs, runs, runs a 350 when he wants, mate. Exactly. Well, 351. He couldn't quite get, couldn't quite get the 350. This, was, this did end up being his pb i think his career did cross over the time of when synthetic tracks were introduced but i might be wrong there um but yeah either way he was the first ever runner to run a sub four minute mile in high school as well which i think is worth mentioning that's pretty significant he's also now a u.s senator and one thing that we can also touch on is just the training that he did to run to run the mile was insane like he was running about 100 100 to 120 miles in high school i think he may have even got up to as high as about 150 miles a week that's just putting in crazy 
crazy mileage to run one mile in his races. I mean, when you consider there's a lot of high-end marathon marathoners that don't that don't come close to 150 miles a week. Yeah, no, it's insane. And whether that was the best way to do it or not, like I don't know, but certainly worked Jesus for him. <laughs> it certainly worked for Jim Ryan exactly, and he was doing this through like brutal winters in Kansas where. It gets down there to like minus 30 degrees Celsius. And he's just out like, yeah, do you know what? I'll run 30 miles today. I don't care. <laughs> Absolutely insane. So in... so that's, yeah, that's, that's our first honorable mention that I think it's justified that we spent a little bit of time on that because it probably should be in the top five, but I just couldn't find a way to shoot on it in. But Jim Ryan, you're a legend. <laughs> um, sticking with the mile. Our second honourable mention goes to Hicham El Garouge and his current mile world record of 3.43. I should have sent you the video to this race, actually, because this is an incredibly good race. I'm guessing you've not seen it before. I've not seen it before. I've seen the images. I've seen the still images from the race itself, like and when he stood by the clock at the end. Um, but I've not actually watched the whole mm. race, no. So usually when people are setting a world record on the track, it's similar to Ayana that we spoke about earlier when they're just out on their own and they're miles ahead of everybody. Yeah. But this one was different that it was a proper, proper race. He was racing against Noah Ngani of Kenya. And they both I think they both ended up running 343. Ngani, I know, definitely ran under the old world record, which I think was Nuruddin Morsali of, I think, Algeria. I might be wrong on that one. Might have been Morocco, I can't remember. Mar oh, no, El Garouj is Moroccan. Algeria, yeah, Morsali is Algerian. Ngani is Kenyan, doesn't really matter that much. But these two were going at it like all the way to the wire. Had El Garouj faltered just a tiny bit in the last hundred meters, we'd be talking about no. You'd be talking Ngani about right now. You'd be talking like it was about a different history timeline. Exactly. And do you know what? Had Ngani broke the world record, maybe it would have snuck into the the top five because El Garouj hasn't made it in there, and he's widely considered the greatest miler of all time. He still holds the fifteen hundred meter world record which is 326 flat, 326.0, which I think he's the either the first or only person ever to average under 55 seconds a lap for the 1,500 meters, which that, that's, that's insane. That's awful is what that is. Anyone who knows yeah. anything about running or anyone who doesn't know anything about running, you go out, go to a 400-meter track and just look at it and you go, yeah, yeah, I <laughs> See if you I can, can come. <laughs> the pro Shall I tell you what the problem is with that, though, and just why people don't understand how quick that actually is? is people look at... The, the the 100 meter runners going around in 10 seconds and they go all right so then the 400 meters must be around 40 seconds for a race so yeah so 55 seconds you go oh yeah that must not be that difficult oh it's jogging yeah, yeah. 55 seconds that's and, nothing yeah i know what you mean well and, do you know what? anyone who thinks that i challenge them to go to the track and try and just run, run el garouge's 15 <laughs> right not just run el garouge's pace for 100 meters i mean that yeah. time for 100 meters 55 off the top of my head is roughly 12.5 i was gonna say it must be in the in the low teens if anything yeah that's astonishing isn't it hold on so 12.5 25 no i'm way off there 13 26 52 okay so it's about 13.5 <laughs> which is still insane i mean it's not quite the 12.5 that i was going on about but 13.5 is still insane for 100 meters like yeah. i <laughs> I, I do, do a fair bit of running and I'd struggle. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so we'll move on from El Garouge. I mean, it's quite obvious how incredible he is, but only good enough for an honourable mention on this list. Next up, we've got one of your 
one of your favourites. We've got Jeffrey Camwaraw and his half marathon world record. What an astonishing race that was. Having been set so recently as well, it's another one of those mm. ones that maybe as he matures as an athlete, that you know his his performances and him as an athlete, I think, could end up being a bit like fine wine. As we'll look back on them with more and more respect as he matures. I and couldn't agree races more there. Um, you know, for him to to that race in Copenhagen where he led so dominantly and and you know what I was almost gutted for him because he hit 5801 and didn't hit 5759 you know it's just it's one of those I know where... and had he run do you know what had he run 5759 we might be talking about him in fifth who knows exactly instead of uh, 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 who do we're going to talk about in a minute here we go though do you think he's got it do you think he's got it in him though to go to go quicker yeah, yeah, I think uh, he does. I, I mean, well, I all, he, he all he's got to do is all he's got to do is ping on a pair of alpha flies instead of vapor flies, and that's another reason why it's only in the honourable mentions. And from that, we will move on. Well, actually, first of all, do you reckon he can? You said you don't think he could go quicker. Oh no, I think he, I think he could. I think it would be extremely difficult, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if something. I can see this happening. Is something like the Copenhagen half or something like that? They may well end up giving mm. him quite a lot of support. And they may end up trying to get him yeah. back to break the record. So that's what I could see happening is one of these race organizers making sure that they do everything. And it, that'll be silly. It'll be the one. Just really making sure that they set the men's world record. Yeah. It'll well, be... the Rat Half Marathon really focused on the women's world record this year. So maybe next year, I don't know, maybe they'll flip it over and turn it over to the men and just really try and make sure that there's a fast pace and everyone goes with it. And there's two or three guys there that could break the world record. And exactly. one of them will do it. So, yeah, invite Camwara, invite somebody else like Chapter Guy or somebody. Yeah, or, give them all nice hotel I don't rooms, know who... make sure they sleep well and, and give them a nice <laughs> yeah, breakfast exactly. package as well. It will be the little 1% like that that all these race organisers will be bolting on. But yeah, I, I I think he could do it. And to see, I mean, saying a 50, 58 minutes for a half is just disgusting. It's just disgusting. Uh, it so... is, but at the same time, fifty people have been running fifty-eight since before the bounce issues. I mean, Tedesse ran Cesney Tedesse, who was part of the original Breaking Two project, is probably where you remember that name from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ran fifty-eight something. I don't remember what for the half marathon, and he was the world record holder for a long time there. Yeah, exactly. So I think, in terms of the way that technology is now, in terms of the half marathon as a distance, I think there's still a long way to go. In I, terms of improvement, I wouldn't be surprised if in five years' time we're looking at a half marathon world record that says fifty six something. Well, I I think, and we won't go tangenting off too much because we are I'm conscious that we've already taken up a whole hour of your time, listeners. Um, oh, Jesus, we're not even onto the men's top five yet. I know wow. it's crazy, isn't it? So uh, we will. <laughs> we might have to split this one and just do uh, you know a women's and then a men's and just release them separately. Who knows? Okay, yeah, we might be after that. Hell, who knows? With a bit of my editing trickery. You might already be listening to the second half of a podcast, uh, part two. Ooh. Ooh. But yeah, so um, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the half marathon is the next kind of sexy race. Let's be honest, with everything that's happened in the marathon over the last few years, it's spiked in its popularity and its attention on it, its eyes on it. And really, the barriers in the marathon now are starting to be torn down. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we get those younger racers like Kimura, like Chapter Guy and people like that start 
to come through and really, really push the boat in the half with a look to then go and upgrade their mileage as they get older and as they run more and more. I know that most people that run a strong half will go out and run a strong full, but I think the amount of support and everything that's been going into the full marathon at the moment has maybe overshadowed the half and people mm. just look to it as the next the next place to break barriers. Yeah, no, maybe, yeah, maybe there will be a trickle-down effect and yeah the half will start becoming a big thing but we'll move back up to the full marathon for our next honorable mention because we are taking we're having good discussions on these but probably taking a little bit too much time is sammy wanduro's all right so sammy wanduro 2008 olympic marathon i mean that's like no other marathon that anyone's ever run before and probably ever will run since sammy wanduro the late sammy wanduro died a few years ago um just attacked it like you've never seen anyone running a marathon like that with these crazy surges and the thing that kind of brings all of the context into this and why it makes it onto this performance list is because the conditions in beijing were just horrible i mean it's pretty much everything that you stereotype with being beijing china like it was hot it was humid it was smoggy and, you know, Sammy Wendrew was just like, I don't care. I'm here to race a marathon, so I'm just going to beat everyone else into the ground. One track mind. Exactly, and that's what he did. All right. <laughs> One track mind, I think, is going to be your whole contribution towards Sammy's uh, marathon there. So <laughs> we'll move on. There we go. How, uh, the next three kind of bullets that we've got, we can sort of lump the last two in together. The, they're all really what we consider the best British performances in somewhat recent times. I mean, we've got a British one. We won't tell you who, and we don't tell we where we won't tell you where, but we've got a British guy somewhere within our top five, but it's not Mo Farah because Mo Farah is only an honorable mention just because like he won pretty much everything from 2011 to 2017. And no one can argue that those were all incredible performances but to me, and I don't know about for you, but none of them stand out as being like an all-time great performance. I think because maybe he... I think the thing is when you've got people like um, Bekele who sort of were always still relevant at the same time he was running and as a result, you know, and because he didn't break as many world records and things like that. Well, yeah, Mo, yeah, exactly. But Mo broke literally no world records. Probably his most impressive race, like you mentioned earlier, is in Rio in the 10,000 meters, is where he fell and then got back up and still won the race. Like that was pretty impressive. It showed a lot of guts. It showed a lot of you know mental fortitude, a lot of steadfastness actually. <laughs> plug for those. Who, yeah, there we go. Plug, plug, plug. For those who don't know the meaning of the word steadfast, look it up. Um, but yeah, it wasn't an all-time great performance. And that's another thing is we haven't actually put Gebra Selassie or Bekele on this because whilst all of their world records and stuff were really impressive, they were, all, they were absolutely great runs. I'm literally mentioning them now. We didn't even write them down in the honorable mentions. Yeah, I'm just mentioning them it, yeah. now as an honorable mention. And I think the reason why we haven't gone with those guys is because, yeah, they did take the sport to another level and the times haven't been matched or anywhere close since. But like it would just be so it would have been so easy of us to have just taken, you know, a bunch of the current world records and been like, these are the greatest performances <laughs> of all time. Agreed. Like, Agreed. Everybody everybody who's listening to this knows Bekele, knows Gebra Selassie, knows their world records. 
maybe we need to do another one of the top five races of all time because both of them have been in some quality races. Like yeah. my, I'm thinking probably one of the first major championships I ever watched when I was really into running was Bekele versus Legat in the 5,000 in the 2009 World Championships. That was an incredible race. And there was a race at some point as well where, uh, geez, I can't remember who it was that he was racing, but Bekele was racing a guy from Kenya. He clipped his heel and the guy kicked his shoe off with a lap to go and just absolutely took off away from Gebra Selassie. <laughs> Gebra Selassie won the race in the end, but that was really cool to watch. There's another one. It might have even been the same one where Gebra Selassie came past somebody in the home straight and they just punched him at the back of the head and that <laughs> eventually propelled him to the win. Amazing. So You're getting carried away we'll though, Kieran. Do... <laughs> I am getting carried away because I do love Bekele and Gebra Selassie. So they've got their mention now. Last honourable mentions is just the best of British. We've got Dave Moorcroft's 13 flat 5,000 metres in 1982 from Oslo. What I would probably consider to be the best endurance run by a non-African male. Fight me if you think otherwise. <laughs> and then you've got just everything that Ka that Cram, Co, and Steve Ovet did in the 1980s. Like Those guys were breaking world records and winning Olympics is left, right, and centre. Like It was a great time for British athletics, but I don't think any of those performances make it onto the big five. No, but it is I think it's important to mention, obviously, then how they have continued to contribute to the sport as we go forward as well. So it's important, you know, from a legacy standpoint as well. Maybe they don't quite clip your top five list, but what they do do is they give you they they give the sport legacy and they make sure that people are still excited and interested in watching it today. Exactly, and. You know, there's a little bit of recency bias with a couple of the performances that we put into our top five. So maybe in 20 years, you know, maybe they'd slide in and somebody else from here would slide out. Who knows? But let's move on to the top five. Let's in do it. fifth place, we have got Daniel Komen, the unbreakable world records of Daniel Komen. I mean, you found out who he was today, right? Well, I'd I'd see, I'd sort of seen his things on various compilations, but not really taken in exactly who he was and what he'd done. But as we've yeah. been discussing this this morning, learning about the performances that he did, his career is a really bizarre one. Um, in terms of it's kind of it's it's like distribution in its races, like kind of was kind of not doing much. All of a sudden, just came and just did everything and just won everything and just did some it was very short and sweet that he was an absolute legend basically yeah and then uh, i mean go on rattle off rattle off some key points i'll start shall i shall i shall i start not go on. yeah yeah the off. let's go let's go with the two the two mile world record was run mm -hmm. in 758 just take a moment just break <laughs> just that, ridiculous break that break that in half <laughs> and yeah that's two sub fours back to back that is back-to-back -back 359s. That's, I mean, it's just insane. He's the only human being that's ever done it. I think you actually alerted me to this earlier, is the second fastest runner ever over two miles is Haile Gebrselassie. And he did an 8.01, I think. He ran 8.01. He's literally referred to by commentators as the great one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how much... How much more context do you need for Coman's performance there than the fact that somebody who's known as the great one couldn't get within three seconds of his time? So that was, yeah, that was his two-mile world record, which actually is probably his second best performance ever. In my opinion, his 3,000-meter world record of 720.67. 720, just ridiculous. Four-minute mile pace would get you a 730, by the way. 
<laughs> for three thousand. Which so that shows you just how significantly under pace that is. Seven twenty point six seven. He ran that in Rieti in Italy in nineteen ninety six. I mean, it's just unbeatable. I can't see anyone ever running seven. And then it's starting with a one, and then the next number being a one <laughs> for the three thousand meters. I just can't see it. I can't even see somebody running seven twenty point six six and beating by a hundredth of a second. Like that is fifty eight seconds per lap. That is insane. It, Granted, yeah, it's fifty eight high, but like that's insane. It is crazy. One thing that I would just say very quickly is that maybe the three thousand is a slightly less glorious event, and maybe that's some of the reasons why you haven't seen so much aggression towards that as a record i think people yeah i think a well lot closer i think they both might be actually world bests rather than world records um i might be wrong there but because neither is an olympic or a world championship distance they do get really quite heavily overlooked and you've got to feel a little bit bad for daniel coleman because he just wasn't quite there he wasn't quite able to he didn't quite have the pace i suppose for the 1500 to be a world beater there and then didn't quite have the strength to hang on for the 5,000. The 3K and the two-mile were just sort of his perfect distance. Yeah. And you've got to feel for him that that's not an Olympic or World Championship distance, so he never really got to be, you know, dominant on the world scene. No, no. However, I think this is one of those things, and, and if you do know a bit about running, and I, I think really to appreciate this, you need to have done at least one or two track sessions in your life to really understand how insanely fast that is like how insanely exactly. like you need to know how how hard it is to run a mile quickly and then to know how fast a sub uh, sub four mile is and then to do two of them and almost three of them back to back exactly just, well <laughs> just... it, it brings us back to what we said earlier um when we were talking about El Garouge is go out and try and run a 100 meters in 14 seconds if you can do that, great, well done. You're relatively speedy. But then imagine doing that for two miles straight. Yeah, it's craziness, isn't it? It is craziness. <laughs> Just, yeah, no, that's ridiculous. And that's I think that's sixteen no, no, thirty-two times in a row. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's mental. Yeah. So that's... that's Daniel Coleman. Absolutely disgusting human being. <laughs> Just absolute monster. Go and watch. So we'll move on to number four and have we not spoken about him yet? I, no, I, I have. I did. I did slip the name in earlier, but we can't ah, avoid. It. We can't course. avoid it, can we? We cannot avoid it. <laughs> no, we can't. And it's it's a joint fourth for two of his two performances by the same guy. It's Elia Kipchoge. Who else? Who, who else? else but Kipchoge? <laughs> <laughs> and we've got the sub two hour marathon, which obviously was insane that he ran in Vienna in the Ineos 159 challenge. And then we've got his official world record from Berlin in 2018 of two hour one thirty nine. just in case somebody was going to say, Oh, but the sub two wasn't done in an official race. Yeah. Well, guess what? We've got an official race that also has equal justification for being in there. And I think both of these, and are... I was going to say, I just, on. I just think both of them are just so important just because it, it solidified him at the top really of, of the marathon distance. And I think it also, and certainly from my perspective of it, he's one of those people, he's one of those athletes that has inspired me enormously to go out and try running on another, 
on another scale that I wouldn't have done without watching those performances. And it's Absolutely. when and, and it's when you see him as a sportsman as well. I think that's something that's important to mention about all of these athletes on here is that a lot of them actually are really good representatives as sports people. Often you get sports people that get to the top of their game and they're cocky and arrogant and they, they come across as dislikable <laughs> people. Um, and for some reason, I think athletics is generally generally a lot better at that there's less yeah it generally creates like a good yeah positive ambassador more than yeah more than anything yeah i I know what you mean and i think you'd struggle to find one more positive and uplifting than someone like kipchoge and for him to have that attitude after going out and obliterating both actual (laughs) records and you know the the ceiling of of performance is is why he was never going to not be on this list Oh, 100%. I mean, he achieved something last year that people thought, you know, people theorized that no human may actually be possible of ever achieving. So, you know, in 2000, and even as the, even as early on as 2015, if you had said to somebody five years ago, yeah, in 2020, someone will have run a, or what happened in 2019, in 2019, someone's going to run a sub two hour marathon. They'd be like, hang on, what? Yeah. So, yeah, like it's, he, he deserves his place on this list. We can talk for hours and end as we already have about shoes, but I think regardless of the shoes, like no matter what you've got on your feet, those perform. And we have kind of calibrated this list to take into account things like shoes and things like track developments. That's why Jim Ryan made it onto the list. If he'd run 351 on a normal synthetic track, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. But same thing, like Kipchoge he still ran sub two if he'd run in normal shoes in Vienna and he'd run, you know, two Oh one forty or something. Or it's it say he'd broken. His... Record, yeah. 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 It just, it's say he'd just beaten his world record. He'd run two Oh one twenty or something. Like we probably wouldn't be talking about it. Would he still be on the list? Yeah, probably. Cause it's still the best marathon of all time. And I feel like it's, but it would be kind of magic. Yeah, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have quite had the magic, but he did have the magic, and that's why he's on the list. Um, I don't feel I feel like we've talked about this subject enough in like every podcast we've ever done, Agreed. so I don't really feel Agreed. the need to to labour on it too much. So we'll move on to number three, and number three is I I'd be surprised, and I don't think I haven't asked you this, but had you heard of this guy before today? Yeah, I know, I know, Zatapek, and kind of just what he achieved in his in his run I, yeah i say his runs mm. in his career just <laughs> runs it runs with lots of s's on the end um <laughs> but yeah i just what he the diversity of what he did i think diversity is probably the right word there is just you don't get athletes that do this to this degree these days you might get them one or two but the the sheer diversity in his in his capabilities were crazy crazy things <laughs> no, I, well, he was a crazy, crazy guy. So it's yeah, like we say, Emil Zatopek is in third place, and what got him the third place was his triple gold medals in the 1952 Helsinki Olympics. Zatopek won the 5,000, the 10,000, and the marathon. He's the only person ever to achieve this, and in my opinion, I and I think probably the opinion of most other experts and non-experts, he's probably going to be the only person to ever do that I, I, at I least agree. for a very very long time probably ever ever the thing is i i reckon the only way you'll ever get somebody who 
even even attempts it genuinely is you'll have to have somebody <laughs> who from a kid has been raised as a runner and has been shown this Zatapec and has almost idolized him. The only way you'll get it is if you get somebody who's like a personal massive fan of Zatapec's work yeah. to, go and, to go out and do it. But that's the only way I could see it ever happening. Well, do you know what? Do you know what? Um, I've forgotten the guys. Lasse Viren, the um, Finnish athlete, tried yeah. to replicate this in the 1972 Olympics. He won the 5,000. He won the 10,000. But he bonked the marathon. I think he was... 12th or something like that wow so it just shows and last Viren is widely considered one of the best long distance runners of all time yeah there's you know people have their doubts about him for doping and things like that but he was never caught so like you said earlier innocent until proven guilty but yeah like he's it's just it's just an insane achievement there's just no other way to put it like winning all of the long distance events, every long distance runner in the world will have chosen one of these events, will have focused specifically on that. They'd have, they require very different, you know, levels of ability and very different skill sets to win each of those events. So the fact that he was able to do that was just absolutely ridiculous. And another note to add on top of that is that he set the Olympic record in all of those events as well. Oh, damn. So if somebody. Yeah, if somebody wants to replicate his achievements, they're also going to have to set the Olympic record in each of those events. Now, bear in mind this was bear in mind this was 1952. The triple that he ran was a 14:06 for the 5000, and we'll come back to that in a sec. A 29:17 for the 10,000, which ironically the same time as as Ayana Almas Ayana, who we mentioned earlier, ran yep. in her 2016 Olympic 10,000 meter winning and world record setting race. And a 2.23.03 in the marathon, which I mean, none of those times sound particularly impressive. But you've got to bear in mind, this was 1952. Yeah. This was on cinders. And this was during like what I'm pretty sure. I mean, it wasn't too far detached from the Second World War. I'm pretty sure there was quite a lot of controversial stuff going on I, th- in... I think probably the way that you want to word it is uh, international tension is probably yeah there we go international <laughs> tension and this is remember the Helsinki Olympics as well so you know location wise probably not ideal and with Emil Zatopek which we haven't mentioned yet being a Czechoslovakian yeah so all of that and the fact that he's still able to overcome all of that pull out these crazy performances and I want to talk a little bit about the specific races as well, because did you watch the video that I sent you? Uh, I didn't get time. No, this makes it you've you've caught me out. You made me sound no, really unattentive <laughs> to all the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we knocked this up in about four hours, so it's not. Uh, no, it's okay. We knocked it up pretty quickly, and this is very much my area of expertise. I'm a big, I'm a big running history nerd, as yeah. I think people probably have figured out by now. Oui. So. In the 5,000, where, like we said, he ran 14.06, doesn't sound that impressive on paper. But what is impressive and still holds weight to this day was that he ran 57.5 on his last lap, moved from fourth place into first. So he wasn't even going into the last lap. Zatopek wasn't even going to medal. He comes away winning the thing. That's with a 57.5 on cinders. That's a kick and a half, isn't it? On cinders. I'm going to say <laughs> it again. On cinders. Like, Most people would just be spinning their wheels be... trying to do that exactly like that kind of power output and speed like that's got to be worth at least 55 on a normal track chuck him in like you know a modern day pair of spikes 
without even thinking about changing his training, he's suddenly able to almost hang with the best runners in 2020. Yeah. On the last lap of a race. And that's almost 70 years ago as well. Yeah. (laughs) 1952. (laughs) Unbelievable. It's insane. So, I mean, some of the ways that Zatopek used to train, getting away from talking about the actual race for a second, but he was famous for doing things like he'd do like 40 by 400 meters in big, heavy boots in the snow. He'd do that in the morning and then he'd come back and he'd do another 20 in the evening. Like he was big on intervals. He was just repeats, 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 400 repeats all the time off of, I think, probably relatively short rest. I don't actually know the rest that he would took. I just know that what's talked about commonly with Zaspek is the sheer volumes of intervals that he would do. And he would always sprint the last one. You've got to, right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> well, not every, not every single time. There's a time and a place, but... Uh, that's getting into boring training talks, which is not what we want to talk about. What we want to talk about is Zatopek's marathon in that Olympics. Cause there's a, what I think is one of the coolest anecdotes in running comes from that. So he was racing against the favorite from England, who was also the world record holder, Jim Peters. He was kind of the main competition for Zatopek. He was the guy he had his eyes on. So at 15 K Zatopek kind of leaned, looked across to Peters and asked him, like, oh, what's the, how's the pace? Because he'd never run a marathon before, so he didn't know how fast or slow he was supposed to be going. And Peters was kind of taken aback by this because he was just trying to race, and it was already actually quite an aggressive pace. So Peters looked back at him and was like, oh, it's, it's too slow. Like, we need to speed up. So Zaspek didn't say a word. He just absolutely took off. <laughs> the end result of that race, the end result of that being, Zatopek won the race by just over two meter, two minutes. Sorry, wow. not two meters. Yeah, it was two minutes. Yeah, two minutes would probably be the best part of you know seven hundred meters yeah, at that pace. Say, yeah, and Jim Peters dropped out. <laughs> Jim Peters DNF the race. Well, that's because probably... he just could not believe what Zatopek had just done. I, I was going to say, yeah, that is. We talk about having your spirits either trying to st- keep them high or having them broken in your darkest moment and that must have been a pretty dark moment <laughs> just for somebody to somebody to glance over would have been crushing just yeah somebody to just glance over at you and say how are we doing oh okay yeah, yeah, exactly let's go and you try you try and play the yeah you try and play the game assuming that they're you know trying to mess with you that was i think it was a, probably a completely innocent move on Zatopek's part <laughs> Peter's tried to freak him out and be like, oh, yeah, it's too slow, thinking that his aspect was probably a bit tired. And he was like, oh, okay, <laughs> see you later. I'm <laughs> off. I'm going to go is, win the Olympics by two minutes after already taking an- two anecdote. gold medals. Yeah, no, it is good. And there's no real way to segue it, so we're just going to jump straight into our number two performance. comes from slightly more recent times, but still at the Olympic Games. And it's David Rudisha in London 2012. And we've talked a lot about confidence and courageousness in our running. And if you want to go out and see pure courage and determination on a run, this is a this is an absolute humdinger to go and watch. It is quite, oh, man. It's probably, it is quite an amazing performance, isn't it? It's probably my favourite race to watch ever. Do, do you know what? So I'd, I'd agree with for that, those actually, who, yeah. For I'd those who have never seen running before and have had their heads buried in the sand for the last eight years. We're talking about Rudisha running the world record for the 800 meters of 140.91 at the London 2012 Olympics. But let's get back to the interesting stuff, like the determination on his face, like it zooms in at about, I think it's about 550 meters coming down the back straight. 
and you just see the focus like he wants it man he wants it he's just going for it it's insane yeah and and the thing is like you said earlier we're talking about kind of tactical races and how you do these things the fact that he just went out and Mm. just said this is mine I'm having it. And and effectively what he did after about the first hundred yards was basically just say good luck to everybody else. Wasn't it? Like, yeah, basically. Time, and it was like what we said, what we said earlier, uh, just to kind of make a quick note of it as we have in a couple of other races where there haven't been pacemakers, no pacemakers in this race, obviously not. It's the Olympic final, but yeah, no, exactly. He just took it to him and was just like, right. Yeah. If you you guys either come with and hang on or, I'm off. Like this is the race I'm going to run, and he changed the face of international 800 meter runners, and probably trickles down all the way to you know club level 800 meter running, where people aren't afraid to take it on anymore. People will just say, right, I'm the best in the field, or I think I'm the best in the field, or I think I can run this time. Let's run. I'm just going to go out. I'm going to do it, and yeah, you lot do whatever you want to do. Yeah, and and to be fair, even the trickle down effect that it had in that race i mean everybody in that race ran insane times i think it was saying i don't know exactly what it was oh it was national records and personal bests everywhere andrew osage finished last in a 143 which is the quickest sorry go on i was just gonna say i I don't think that anybody dipped under 444 (laughs) and the 444 144 sorry um yeah no nobody out there everyone was 143 or quicker i mean it was yeah it was national records it was personal bests and, all the way down the field. It was insane. And you know what? Something that I like to tell myself every now and again, because sometimes when you talk about distances and running, they can become a bit convoluted. If you say he ran this 800 meter world record, you go, okay, you know, that's good. And you, cause you sort of visualize 400 meters as just a track and a couple of laps of the track. And depending on how you're doing in life, if it's the end of a marathon, you might say that 800 meters still feels like a really long way to go. But if you just go, yeah, 800. Mm. if you said it's 800 meters down the road, you go, ah, oh, it doesn't sound too bad. But if you spin it around, you go, <laughs> he basically sprinted solidly for half a mile. <laughs> you say it that way. Yeah. Around, all of Do you know sudden, what that's... It really just, it slams home how magnificent that performance was it does and i'm really glad that you said he sprinted half a mile because a lot of people really do and have throughout history considered the 800 meters to be a long sprint rather than a middle distance event and watching him run that 800 like i rewatched it earlier today and it does just look like a long sprint like you can tell like he's just so powerful it's, mate it's poetic is what that <laughs> run is it, is a poetic it really is run. and that's actually one of the things that i've written down in the notes here looking at it it says big powerful <laughs> are you looking at it <laughs> i've just spotted it yeah for the first time yeah. yeah and yeah so he's a big powerful uh-uh. he comes from the Maasai tribe which as well in uh, in kenya which I think is interesting to note because Maasai are generally, you know, they're generally a little bigger, a little taller, a little stronger. Most Kenyan runners are from the Kalenji tribe. So I, I just think that's an interesting little fun fact. I don't know if it's something that you knew already or not. but No, yeah. my, my knowledge of Kenyan tribes is limited, I must admit. <laughs> well, do you know what? The only reason I had heard of the Maasai tribe before Rudisha is because when I was in primary school, I ju- this is a weird anecdote, anecdote but we're going to go with it anyway. When I was in primary school, I have no idea why, but there was somebody from some representative of the Maasai tribe came in and did an assembly for us. And I remember they did this thing where they could jump 
like a I, I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess how high they were jumping. They jumped ridiculous amounts in the air. <laughs> they were just like re all of them really super tall and powerful and could do these crazy big jumps. So I think maybe being part of that tribe as opposed the Maasai tribe as opposed to the Kalenji tribe was something that lent Rudisha towards being a good 800 meter runner just that kind of the genetics i don't know well it's that perfect combination of he's not a big heavy sprint like big heavy kind of bulk like a sprinter and he's not a stick yeah figure like the like the longer distance runners he is that perfect balance down the middle and he's got it on a perfect down the middle event where he can use the best of both exactly he's got that perfect if he was a car you'd be saying he'd had got he's got a great power to weight ratio Ooh, lots of torque in rudisha yeah or oh, massive <laughs> massively torquey <laughs> he's a talky bastard <laughs> right <laughs> anyway enough about talky rudisha let's move on to our number one do we even need a drum roll because i think we've hinted quite heavily and if you haven't guessed it by now you might as well switch off <laughs> number one in our opinion the greatest male performance in athletics of all time who else but roger bannister running his third four mile like was it ever going to be anything else you've got to take moments in history and moments in sporting history where people do the unthinkable and some of those come before others don't they and there mm. you know there's a first time for everything but when it becomes something that's so significant it was i think because there'd been so much build up for it and you've got to think of other things as well is that back um back when that race happened is that this is when things like recording equipment and technology and things like that was starting to become more and more available to to everywhere so the fact that yeah the fact that the news could spread so quickly and the hype around it could effectively build and this is not you know these days obviously well the hype was the hype was huge because it was kind of it was between him and do you know what? i cannot remember the name of it for some reason i'm thinking john landy but it might not have been but somebody else from down under so it's two opposite sides of the world that were competing, just racing to try and be the first sub four minute miler. Yeah. I think the only reason that it happened in Iffy Road in May in 1954 is because basically Bannister was thinking, if I don't do it now, somebody else is going to. Whereas the media were portraying it as this impossible barrier that if anybody runs sub four for the mile, they'll die. Yeah. Actually, fun, like kind of it's kind of funny that the athletes there and the coaches were thinking actually no like we've got to get a jump on this because if we want to make history we've got to get in there before somebody else does and the thing is is yeah you've got to like we said there there are these there are these opportunities in history where people are remembered for being the first you know it's like yeah you, you never remember yeah, the person absolutely. Who wins, you, you don't remember the person who, who wins a silver medal you know, and that's what, <laughs> uh, and that's and that's what this whole effect is. And the reason it's going to make the top of the list is because, importantly, like we talked about with Kipchoge, and obviously the comparisons were made all throughout Kipchoge's career as he's broken to, etc. Is he took something that nobody knew if it was going to be possible, and just flat out redefined it. And I think the thing that again, absolutely well, Kipchoge's sub two wall was basically sold as being the 21st century answer to Bannister's sub four, wasn't it? Yeah, agreed. And I, I think the thing that makes it so exciting is the, the launch pad, the springboard that it then gave the sport afterwards as well. Um, 
Um, because, yeah, and, and Absolutely. Yeah. The, the fact that then a load of people kind of pretty much immediately then went on to, to break it and run much faster times overall, and, and we are where we are today. Yeah, but, well... But Bannister was the first. I was going to say, well, one of his pacemakers, one of his pacemakers, Chris Chassaway, actually came away with having a faster mile personal best now that all is said and done than Bannister. I'm pretty sure Bannister, I don't know that he ever ran quicker than his 359. And I'm pretty sure this is all completely off the top of my head, so I might be wrong here. But Chataway, I'm pretty sure, ran 357 or 358. Him and Hugh Brasher were the two pacemakers for uh, for Bannister that day. And yeah, it's like you say, nobody remembers the silver medalist. People remember Bannister, who was the slower, was the second fastest of the trio overall like you know when all, all was said and done but people remember him because he was the first one to go sub four yeah and and, and like i said then it, it creates memories it creates platforms and and at a time when the world like you said the, you know the 50s is a time when the world is looking for as many positive messages as it can having been ravaged by war only 10 years earlier uh, and exactly to, and to look for big positive moments like that and to redefine what was possible amongst people is is what makes it so special and i think now even people that don't know much about running they will have still heard the name roger bannister no absolutely he's um, it's one of those kind of moments that has it has transcended sport so let's talk a little bit about the attempt because have you that is a video i know you've watched and i know you've watched it a few times yeah definitely and it's just some of the like stuff about how it all came together is pretty pretty cool i think i mean so for example this wasn't the first attempt by this trio of banister chataway and brasher to break the four minute mile they'd had a few attempts before this trying out different methods so i think they had one where somebody would pace for a lap wait for a lap and then pick them back up and then pace again. They had tried different ones with different people trying to be the guy that went sub four and other guys pacing them in different ways. And they eventually settled on what they had here, which was, I think it was, uh, I can't remember which way round it was, but somebody paced for 800 and then somebody took Roger through to 1200 and then he ran the last lap by himself. I, and, can't, I can't envision yeah, just, it off the top of my head what actually was the final strategy yeah, but, no, it's... but it's, it's i didn't know that i didn't know <laughs> it's all right. i didn't know that there'd been so much kind of fourth yeah and, been, previous remember, attempt. remember this is a time in the 50s where pacemakers if anything were frowned upon as being unsportsmanlike even yeah. in those days training too hard was frowned upon for being unsportsmanlike <laughs> which just shows how much of a big breakthrough it was and he also did this coming off remember like a wartime diet on a crappy cinder track it had allegedly it had been windier earlier that day, which I know from personal experience how windy it can be at Ifley Road uh, from racing there. I ran a 4.10 mile a couple of years ago there when I think I was probably in about four. I'd run 4.03 earlier in the year and I was in better shape than that. Yeah. So he's got all of these things kind of all of these things that he has to overcome. He manages it. The race itself, apparently as well, like he was properly up for this. Apparently in the race itself, he's going through, they're about 400, 400 meters in or maybe 600 meters in coming down the back straight. And he's yelling at the pacemakers, faster, faster. And That's brilliant. I they love deliberately that. Would, yeah. They thankfully didn't listen to him and start absolutely smashing it because they were on spot on pace. 
but it just showed how up for it he was and how like this was just the day it was going to get done no matter what happened that's brilliant i love that animalistic side of things when you hear stories like that it's, mm. it's brilliant oh he was an absolute animal and he was an animal in kind of all senses of the word. it's like in all aspects of life like his medical career i was gonna say academic academically as well you can't yeah you can't look over and this is something else that i think is important to mention not because it's hugely important to his running influence but when you consider the pressure that because you know what it's like when you think about him as a person you think about yeah as an off day you know what it's like if you have an off day or even if you're frustrated from being stuck in your house for so long for example you you know your mental health (laughs) suffers and things like that and we know that things like university and studying can be a huge thing this guy was at oxford if you don't know ifley road the track is at oxford university people people Mm -hmm. people have an enormous amount of pressure when they go to that institution no matter what year it is so for him to be absolutely and then i think i'm pretty sure he was either in class or working that day he was doing something earlier that day yeah and i think that he i think that they had also postponed the race a couple of times by like a few hours as well because of the wind that day as well yeah like there's just so many things that had to come together and so many factors about that performance that isn't just the fact that it was the first ever time somebody broke four in the mile that just makes it so much more special like there's plenty of barriers in athletics like sub four for the mile isn't the only or the most significant barrier in long distance athletics but it's just everything that went into this and all the history behind it that's what makes it so special and that's why it's number one agreed agreed 100 and i think that uh, as well because a mile is one of those extremely relatable distances if you've never run a marathon, if you, you know, you're never going to, you will, you'll never go out and casually walk a marathon on a Sunday. But one thing that you will do is you might happily go, and, <laughs> you, you might happily go and walk the dog for a mile or something like that. Just something like that is, is most so people reasonable. See, yeah. Most people have a concept of what a mile is as well. And, and I think that's one of the things that if people don't necessarily understand 5k, people understand 5k times a lot more now because of park run, but certainly for 10k mm-hmm. and things like that, the one thing that... The, the thing is, the thing with park run and the 5k and the 5,000 is it doesn't seem to translate in people's minds to the 5,000. No, no, I agree. Where and is I don't the... know, I don't know where that missing connection is. I don't know if it's because park run is supposed to be just a fun event, but you know how the marathon, like the people who are running the marathon in six hours for charity appreciate how fast the guys that are running the marathon in close to two hours for, you know, in the elite race, they appreciate that performance and how special that is. But I think people running the park run in, I don't know, let's just say a mid packer, 25 minutes, something like that. Yeah. I don't think they quite understand how incredible it is for somebody to run the 5,000 meters on the track which is the same distance in 1250, something yeah, like that. In, you know? Well, half the time, yeah. Literally, yeah. Yeah, about half the time, yeah. yeah and I think that, that for some reason that connection hasn't been made. I don't know why it is. I don't know. Maybe they need to have a, a road or an off-road 5K in the Olympics. 
yeah. maybe something like that would be, you know, cross country. Yeah. It's like a 5K cross country in the Olympics. Something like that would do wonders for the uh, for, for the sport and for its relationship with the outside world. But but yeah, look, we're, we're waffling again. So I think... Oh if, yeah, we've got, we've gone very far away from Bannister there. It's fine. Well, I think we're now looking at, I've just seen the time again. I think we're going to be forced to split this uh, pod into, into two halves. So I shall... I think so as well, uh, yeah. I think I think <laughs> we'll round off the second half of this pod now, the men's thing, by just saying, yeah, we'll re- review our list again very quickly if my computer wants to wake up yep oh yeah of course because we did do this for the women so yeah coming in at number five we have daniel Coman for his unbeatable world records at the 3000 meters and the two miles which were 720 and 758 respectively coming in at fourth we have another two performer it's elliot kipchoge with his sub two marathon in vienna in the ineos 159 challenge where he ran 159 40 and his official world record in Berlin, where he ran two hours, one minute, 39 seconds in 2018. In third, we have, there's a lot of double and triple performances here. It's because we, we have got overexcited. Yes, exactly. It's Emil Zatopek's 1952 Olympic triple, where in Helsinki, he won the 5,000, 10,000 and the marathon, all in Olympic record times. In second place, we have David Rudisha's 800-meter world record where he won the London 2012 Olympics in 1 minute, 40 seconds, 0.91. And then at number one, we've got Roger Bannister, the legend himself, first ever sub-four-minute mile at Ifley Road in Oxford in 1954, 359.4. What a list. What do you reckon for that list? What a list, indeed. Yeah. I, I I think that we could and do you know what the fun thing is about all of this is if we did it again all tomorrow we could probably come up with another half a dozen honourable mentions and more names to stick in there I think that oh, it's been easy. great fun. I could talk about this literally all day we could have done a 10 hour podcast we could have done one of those um, live streams one of those gaming like live stream <laughs> things that's the one yes I'm sure well, let's, let's, I'm showing I'm showing my knowledge of the internet now <laughs> that's, and but, we, should, we should all yeah. be worried about that <laughs> We'll do a live stream where we just yeah talk about who our favorite runners and performances were of all time. I still think we should revisit this and do the best races of all time because these are the best performances. But I think if we did the best races, so an interesting race. Like just from an entertainment standpoint. Yeah, it would be so different. I mean, Bannister for me wouldn't make the top 100 best races of all time. No, no. But, but Rudisha would still be nearly number one. Zatopek probably wouldn't make the list. Kipchoge wouldn't be anywhere near the list. Kipchoge would be on the list for his 2003 run in Paris. Yeah. Over 5,000. That's why he'd be on the list. Komen wouldn't be on the list. Like It would be a completely different list. Of course, Kipchoge's on the list because it's us. But yeah, no, it would be really interesting. And on the women's side as well, I dare say that would look very, very different as well. Paula Radcliffe's marathon was by all accounts, probably pretty boring to watch. But, <laughs> yeah, um, agreed. <laughs> no offense, Paula. But Kelly Holmes's two Olympic golds were incredible races. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. No, I don't know. But let's, we'll revisit it because we've got plenty of time. Exactly. Well, again, thank you to everybody for sticking with us over this now. As <laughs> as on the fly, we've decided this is going to be a, a kind of a, a part one and a part two podcast. I do wish you all the very, very absolutely. I do wish you all the very, very best from both Kieran and myself uh, as you deal with the trying times that we've got ahead of us. I don't want to talk about it too much. We've had a nice distraction for a, for an hour and a half, 
but do stay safe. Yeah, we if you certainly can, have. If you can, if you can get your training in, you might want to go outside, but just make sure that you're keeping a nice distance from everyone as you fly past them. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Just if you've got anything to contribute to our list, or if you want to hear us talk about anything else in particular literally give us a message like we said on at the end of the uh, women's list we're really up for hearing your suggestions and we've got plenty of opportunities to make more and more content now that we're going to be locked away so thanks again everyone for listening i hope that you've enjoyed our lists and we will catch you on the next one and don't eat bats don't eat bats still don't eat bats because if i have to do this quarantining again in another year's time i will come to your house and i will force feed you to eat things much worse than bats (laughs) (laughs) there we go don't eat bats don't eat snakes don't eat badgers just stick to normal foods people and then we won't have to all be stuck inside for months on end (laughs) anyway let's not get too political we'll see you all on the next one (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening